Welcome to the On Your Left podcast, a politics podcast that's probably to your left. My name's Katrina Ames, and I use she, them pronouns. And I'm Narali Shatha, and I use she, her pronouns. Today, we are going to take a little look back at uh, some of our history. Specifically, I believe this will be our last Pride episode, uh, which is, you know, we'll still be gay in July. But to finish <laughs> off, but to finish off this month, uh, we wanted to talk about kind of the history of queer rights in America. Yeah, I feel like "Still Be Gay in July" would be a great song name or album name, like "Still Gay in July." Not a band name, but like an album name. I kind of want a sticker. Ooh, on your left pod, uh, folks, if you want merch from us. Please let us know. We will make that happen. I will absolutely make sure we get a sticker that says still gay in July. Yeah, stickers are like fairly easy, so this is good. So I think one important thing to highlight uh, during Pride is, of course, that even though being gay or trans has historically been criminalized within the United States of America, that wasn't always the case. Uh, Several indigenous tribes had same-sex marriages or uh, two-spirit people or just acknowledge the existence of trans people and we're totally fine with it uh and then colonialism oh colonialism it's always colonialism that could be another sticker Um. no i don't i don't like that because i would like colonialism to stop and if it's always colonialism then we'll have some problems can we say, uh, blame the Europeans, at least? <laughs> Ooh, I like that one. Because <laughs> I always blame the Europeans, because the Europeans are the ones who, who colonized most recently, at least. And to most everyone's detriment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um. Anyways, uh, then Spain and Italy and Portugal and the British, and the French, and pretty much all of Europe found a continent that was already populated and decided to put in some new laws. Yeah, they decided that they needed to to pillage uh, these nations and also uh, spread the word of Jesus via laws, and it was a pretty inaccurate version of what jesus said in the first place but yeah that's how that's where we come to in virginia in colonial virginia which is in america how how far back anti-sodomy laws go uh for those who are unfamiliar with the term sodomy is just sex with another person of the same sex usually explicitly referring to two men. Yeah, I find it interesting that lesbians are, like, largely just ignored, because women are largely just ignored, so... Why pay attention to someone that has no power? (laughs) Yeah. Except for spinsters. Spinsters have power, but they're witches, remember? Let's just go ahead and uh, skip ahead in American history. Yeah, 1700s to 1900s. A lot of bad things happened for hundreds of years, and then nothing got better. So, um, in 1923, the term transsexual was first used by a German physician, Magnus Hirschfeld. Uh, 
in a journal article titled The Intersexual Constitution, which is a, you know, a really old term. It's sometimes still used by the medical community and by uh, older members of the trans community, but it's also kind of fallen out of fashion in the past 20 years or so. But that also gave language to trans people uh, way back in 1923, almost 100 years ago. Yeah, wow. A hundred years of trans people. That's awesome. Um, of of documented in Western culture, trans people. <laughs> of having accurate language to describe our experiences that we all understood. Yes. <laughs> um, a year after that, uh, the Society for Human Rights was founded in Chicago uh, by Henry Gerber, and it was the first... Uh, gay rights organization so that was awesome for us we got we got we got trans folks and a, and a gay rights organization yeah and they have, they have a really interesting story so this was the first documented gay rights organization and one of the reasons we have documents is because they basically published a zines and a newsletter to like send it around about you know male friendship so to speak <laughs> um and then one of their wives outed them, and they stopped doing that. That's a shame. Well, I do uh, straights always. Always have to ruin our fun. I'm just thinking about, like, World War One, how gay the, the poetry from that era was, and how they all came back, and then, like, some of them were probably part of this society, and I think that's nice. I hope they all stayed in touch with their friends. Yeah. I guess we're jumping forward a few years, um, so to like 1949 so in between this time um the roaring 20s ended the great depression happened and world war ii happened so lots of things happened but in um 1949 hormone therapy was invented or like it was it was started by uh, a san francisco doctor named harry benjamin um so uh, he started the use of hormone therapy in trans patients. Um, and yeah, it says in this article that we'll link in the show notes um, that he was interested in anti-aging and sexual identity for hormones and um, un- understood that it was possible for individuals to feel like they had been assigned the wrong gender at birth. So that language has been around for a very long time. It feels like very recent in my head that I've heard like assigned female at birth, assigned male at birth sort of language, but it's been around since 1949. Um, And yeah, he realized that like hormone therapy and surgery was the way to help trans folks and not just like therapy. So like psychotherapy. So I think that's amazing that that's been around for that long. Yeah, I think that it's amazing that someone identified gender dysphoria and had the medical tools to help address that problem in a way that was meaningful and helpful to their patients. Yeah. And we're also using the same methods today. Like, I'm sure, like, the drugs are slightly different or and better now than they were before, but, like, it's the same basic method, which is kind yeah. of amazing 
Um, yeah, so just going ahead one more year, we have the creation of the Mattachine Society that's formed by activist Harry Hay, and it was one of the first sustained gay rights groups in the United States. And by sustained, I do mean didn't stop because someone's wife outed everyone. Rude. So rude. Um, yeah, but this society focused more on social acceptance and support for the gays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really good. I, th- I think a lot of organizations these days also focus on, like, acceptance from the outside. Like, there are a lot of organizations that focus on, like, inter-community stuff, but a lot more organizations focus on acceptance from the outside um, because it's so important. And, yeah, it looks like this was the first one that, like, lasted, which is amazing. and I think it's also really important to have people outside of the community supporting. Like, we need allies and accomplices in our life because we can't change the world on our own. The LGBT community consists of millions of people, but it's a rather small percentage of our overall population in consideration. Mm Mm-hmm. We need allies and accomplices also not just to change culture, but to ensure that everyone is safe. Definitely. Uh, especially when when it comes to like accepting and loving LGBT youth who are more at risk of suicide, drug use, um, over, overdosing, uh, becoming homeless. Yeah. Social acceptance is super important. Um... And on that note, let's talk about the medicalization of homosexuality. Uh, Yeah, so, like, all of these seemed like great steps forward that we've talked about so far. Um, And then the APA, or the American Psychiatric Association, uh, diagnosed, uh, lists homosexuality as a uh, sociopathic personality disturbance, um, which, like, is a bad thing. Um, because it, uh, made it seem as though, uh, being gay was something that needed to be, uh, therapized, not, like, cured necessarily, because I think even in the 50s, like, psychiatrists specifically didn't see, like, mental illnesses as, illnesses as something to be cured, but something that needed to be helped and, like, reduced in some ways didn't treat mental health patients well in the 1950s and honestly we still don't there's still a lot of stigma around having a mental illness uh being considered more violent or uh, a danger to yourself and others but mostly others when it's far more likely that uh, someone suffering from a mental illness will be a victim of a crime and is more likely to self-harm than commit harm to others Mm mm-hmm being gay isn't a sociopathic personality disturbance, which I, it's not. I mean, sociopaths can be gay, that's fine, but that's not what we're doing here. It's it's interesting that, like, it's seen as a social disorder that can, like, cause unrest in others. Like, social, like, socio means it's, like, social and, like, is a part of society and can affect others in society, which is, like, not at all what being gay is. Um, Yeah. I I mean, a sociopath would 
probably be closest to the idea of like antisocial behaviors or a, men- a disorder that would mean disregarding other people. Yeah. And let me, t- yeah, that the LGBT community cares so much about other people. Yeah. And like the other part of that word is pathy, which means disease. Like it literally means disease. Um, so it's a social disease. Which means it sounds like it can affect others, even though it cannot. And we know this. Except for the fact that, like, increased visibility means more people figure themselves out sooner. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, uh, so this is kind of the beginning of the Lavender Scare, which was this moral panic in the mid-20th century that decided when homosexual people of the United States government and their, like, mass dismissal from government service uh, occurred uh, because it was thought that we were not able to serve our public and our communities. Um, This was happening at the same time as McCarthyism and the Red Scare, which people are much more familiar with. But Lavender Scare sounds better. Yeah. I've also heard it called Lavender Menace, which is, like, really fun, and I do want to be called a Lavender Menace, because purple's my favorite color, and, like, yeah, it's a fun, it's a fun word to reclaim. See, a Lavender Menace just sounds like a lesbian in a flower crown to me. I mean. It's like saying a mean things to me, but looking great while doing it. I mean, yeah, got me a flower crown, I can do that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, um, yeah. so... It was a it was a time of like a lot of social like conformity, I think, the nineteen fifties, where like either you were normal or you were not. And like that was put into a lot of laws and a lot of um social systems that like resonate till today. Yeah, it's also definitely entwined with the Red Scare at some points because it was believed that all gays were communists. I mean, which <laughs> we are yeah. called on your left. <laughs> I mean, we're we're democratic socialists at worst, but yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, this this also resulted in like there weren't a lot of legal actions that specifically took place during this like mass legal outing and kicking people out of service, um, except for. The executive order that President Dwight D. Eisenhower signed on April 27, 1953, that explicitly banned homosexuals from working for the federal government, saying they are a security risk. And that's what allowed people to be kicked out, because if they were outed, they could have other names that would allow them to continue working by handing over Uh, other people's names and outing other people in order to keep their jobs and saying that they were actually just trying to entrap the real gays. Yeah, that's, like, really heartbreaking because that can ruin a community. Like, completely obliterate it. Um, but, uh, on a brighter note, um, in 1955, a couple years later, uh, the first known, uh, lesbian rights organization in the U.S. formed in San Francisco. San Francisco, once again, being awesome to gays. Like, the first uh, hormone therapy procedures happened there. The first lesbian rights organization happened there. Um, and they were called the Daughters of Bilitis. 
and I am currently looking up what Belitis is. Belitis is based off of the Songs of Belitis, which was an, a collection of French erotic poetry attributed to the fictional Belitis, who was... That's really awesome. I love that. I know they found like 60-year-old poetry and we're like, I guess this is our name now. <laughs> I love that for us. <laughs> of course, we're like, oh yeah, this person definitely definitely sounds like Sappho so that they were definitely contemporary of Sappho that's amazing they uh the organization lasted for 14 years and it was an educational research for lesbians also gay men researchers and mental health professionals and uh yeah it was it was good it was great they also were you know trying to fight against the repressive acts of the state uh, that were, you know, causing politically motivated police raids on gay bars and declaring laws that would get people dismissed from their jobs and criminalize cross-dressing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, this organization lasted till after we were born. It ended in 95. The final chapter Wait, ended in 95. Uh, yeah, I guess it, it went away for a bit. Yeah. And then it kind of came back and had some resurgences a few times. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. This is really cool. Yeah. Super fascinating. Um, I guess the last thing from the 1950s that we're going to talk about today is the fact that Christine Jorgensen, or Jorgensen, I don't know how to pronounce this name, was denied a le- uh, marriage license in 1959. Uh, she was a trans woman who was denied her marriage license in New York based on the gender she was assigned at birth. Her fiance, Howard Knox, was also fired from his job when rumors of their attempt to marry became public. Um, she used the publicity from all of this to become a spokeswoman and activist for the trans community, arguing that she should be allowed to marry a man because she is a woman. Yeah. Uh, and trying to get the courts to just to recognize that she was a woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she she was really um, everywhere in pop culture for a really long time because she was like the like a very landmark case and a very popular case um, for trans people. Um, she was like kind of the only one only big uh case at the time so yeah like really like important to remember her she was really impressive um she you know went to world war ii after being drafted she was drafted in the army in world war ii uh was the first person to really become widely known in the united states for having a sex reassignment surgery and you know is i guess the closest the closest thing i can explain to the, her uh is she was that generation's Caitlyn Jenner. Like, not everybody was cool with her, mm-hmm. but they kind of understood what was happening in the whole community because she came out. Yeah, she also, like, recorded some songs and stuff. Kind of want to listen to her songs. Uh, some happier news was slide into the 1960s where things slowly and surely did start to get better. Uh, in July 1961, Illinois became the first state to decriminalize homosexuality by repealing their anti-sodomy laws. Go Illinois. That's awesome. It's, 
It's never any of the states you expect to do these things. No, it was New York or California. It was, it was Illinois. And then uh, we're jumping forward in time a little bit to the one everyone knows, Stonewall. Um, yeah, on June 28th, 1969, uh, the police raided the Stonewall Inn, um, and uh, a riot happened, and demonstrations and riots continued to happen and really became the like linchpin of the gay rights movement going forward impressive a lot of people often know that stonewall was a place where the first like big protests and riots that lasted for days Mm -hmm. happened yeah um but i think a lot of people also often forget that this was a protest against police brutality the police consistently raided gay bars which were run by the mafia yeah but usually the mafia got tips that uh the police were coming and they would clear everyone out and this time they weren't tipped which is why it created the riot that it did i don't want a corrupt cop could have fixed all of this Mm -hmm. which is weird (laughs) led largely by women of color including trans women of color who fought for all of our rights and were at the front and center of the movement advocating for all of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Stonewall riots were led by Marsha P. Johnson, Stormy Delivery, Sylvia Rivera, and Miss Major. And they were all women of color, some of them trans women of color. And that's why I have rights now. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. It's really incredible. Um what they did and what they sparked on those days, on those summer days, um, in 1969. Yeah. Also in 1969, the Los Angeles Advocate was founded in 1967. Pride. I love that. Um, yeah, the advocate yeah, is still so going, nice. which is amazing. Um, I just read an article from them like this morning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, they're a great resource um, for uh, queer news and stuff. There are a lot of amazing outlets now, which is great. But yeah, they were the first and. Um, and they're, they're still amazing. one of the largest. Yeah, they're, yeah. And they, yeah, I think they have uh, the widest um, scope of news uh, because they talk a lot about, like, politics in addition to pop culture and, like, yeah, they talk about everything and everyone, so. On to the 70s. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, so a year after the Stonewall uh, riots started, um... The first Pride Parade happened. Um, it was a march through the cities of New York, uh, through the streets of New York City, um, to recognize the one-year anniversary of the Stonewall Riots, and it was called the Christopher Street Liberation Day because Stonewall, uh, the Stonewall Inn is on Christopher Street, still there, still awesome, um, and it was, yeah, considered the first gay Pride Parade, um, and it's the reason why we have the month we do. Um, to talk about all this gay stuff. I don't think that they knew then that it would continue on this long or know what 
all of the pride parades would turn into or how widely spread they would become. No, they were just fighting for their rights, you know? This was really an amazing time Mm -hmm. to be alive because we had a community coming together and starting to come together openly to say who they are and that they deserve equal equal rights and the freedom to be themselves. Yeah. Um, so then we jump to 1973, where it was a very busy year. <laughs> so uh, first off, uh, Lambda Legal is the first legal rights organization to... Um, fight for uh, gay and lesbian rights. Um, and they became their own client after being denied a nonprofit status until the New York Supreme Court had to rule that they could exist as a nonprofit, therefore uh, more easily help um, gay and le- the gay and lesbian community. And now, obviously, they've expanded to the full LGBT community. But yeah, they're still working, still doing great work. Their full name now is the Lambda Legal Defense and Education Fund, and they just focus on lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender communities, as well as people living with HIV AIDS through impact litigation, societal education, and public policy work. Yes, that is what it says on their website. Everyone to donate to Lambda if they have the money to do so. On January 1st of 1973, we took a a little step back, and um, Maryland became the first state to ban same-sex marriage outright, so um, they probably didn't have a law on the books saying you can't gay marry, and then they did. (laughs) Yeah, and I think in part this was probably a reaction to Christine uh, Jorgensen because she lost her court case. Yeah, which made it allowed that that, um, states could have laws banning same-sex marriage. Because uh, they considered the marriage between a trans person of one gender and someone of a different gender to still be a same-sex marriage. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, publicity and acceptance and awareness, but on the other hand, backlash. I'm remembering the story that was told, I think I read it on Tumblr, of like someone trying to, a woman trying to get married to a trans woman in Texas or something, and then being denied that when gay marriage was illegal. But they also didn't recognize the trans woman's gender, so it would have been a straight marriage, but they still, it was like very- Texas is confusing. Very complicated. And yeah, that's what happens when you try to ban marriage between any genders it's just it'll get complicated real fast and you're gonna have to jump through hoops there are those lawful good people who will test the system until you give them what is right yep i'm not one of them (laughs) but good on them good on them (laughs) yeah i'm generally too tired to do that but good on them (laughs) Um, I'm neutral good at best. Who cares about the law? (laughs) Except for me, who was never broken a law. Wait, really? Just in case someone is listening to this, I have never broken a law. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, 
I mean, to my knowledge, probably not. I mean, I'm a bad driver, but, you know. Um, yeah, the NSA officer who is, like, obviously hacked into our Zoom call right now, um, neither of us have broken laws ever in our yeah. lifetimes. We all know that Zoom has offered to, uh, are not going to encrypt any of their messages and are willing to hand it over to the local police. So I have broken zero laws. Thank you for tuning into the podcast <laughs> be gay do crime is is a is a metaphor of some sort it is not it's it, yeah it's just about how like our existence is criminalized we're not doing other crimes but it what it, it was criminalized but it's not anymore so it's the what's the yeah. past tense of be gay do crime was gay did crime let's let's just finish off the year 1973 um where the APA removed homosexuality from its list of mental disorders in the DSM because they recognized that it was a mental disorder. It's just a thing that people are. Yeah. Like, about damn time. But, like, congrats, I guess. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, if it took, it, it took them... It took them a while, but they got their heads screwed on right eventually. It took them 21 years or so, but you know. I, it happened. Some mistakes were made. Let's go to 1974. Uh, a cool thing happens, which is uh, Kathy Kozachenko became uh, the first openly LGBTQ American elected to any public office uh, when she won a seat on the Ann Arbor, Michigan City Council. Um, shout out to Ann Arbor. Uh, and same year, Elaine Noble is the first openly gay candidate elected to a state office when she is elected to the Massachusetts state legislature. 1974 was a great year for gay politicians. Yeah. It didn't go well forever, but you know, that one year we got two big wins. Two wins. Um, yeah, go Ann Arbor, go Massachusetts. Massachusetts will probably come up later too, so go Massachusetts in advance. Oh, the next year, uh, in 1975, um, the first federal gay rights bill was introduced um, to address discrimination based on sexual orientation. Um, unfortunately, uh, even though it was brought to the Judiciary Committee, it was never like brought forward for consideration. Um, but um, if we fast forward to um, now, we finally have protections, um, thanks to the current Supreme Court. Uh, but uh, 1975. Which we'll get to. What? We'll get to yeah, it. Yeah, we'll get to it. But um, it's a long road ahead till then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, I'm just going to say it. We elected two gay politicians, and then as soon as they were in office, the first federal gay rights bill was introduced. It was not for any of the offices that they were in charge of. But let me tell you. It probably made a we difference. We were work done. Mm -hmm. In March of 1975, uh, there's... A bit more bad news. Um, the technical sergeant Leonard P. Matlovich uh, decided to come out about his sexual orientation to his commanding officer and then was forcibly discharged from the Air Force six months later. Um, he was a Vietnam veteran and was awarded both Purple Hearts and a Bronze Star. Um, and then Five years later, the Court of Appeals ruled that the dismissal was improper and he was awarded his back pay, back pay and uh, 
retroactive promotion, but he was still dismissed by his superior officer um, just on the grounds of being gay and open about it. Yep. Which... Which will come up later, too. Legal to do. Yep. <laughs> So in 1976, there was this court case, M.T. versus J.T., where the Superior Court in New Jersey ruled that transsexual persons may marry on the basis of their gender identity, regardless of the gender they were assigned at birth, which meant that the plaintiff was entitled to receive spousal support after her husband left her and stopped supporting her financially. The court decided that the marriage was valid, and she deserved alimony in part because she had gender reassignment surgery so she proved her womanhood yeah basically she was like yeah look uh assignment surgery um i'm a woman <laughs> please give me yeah. my financial support yeah which um which also shows that like their marriage was legal like completely yes. legal because she was a trans yeah. person. She was a trans woman who married a straight guy. And wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I mean, there's still like some medicalization of trans people, but being, having your gender assigned in a court of law is a huge landmark. Also in 1976, um, a trans woman uh, named Renee Richards was banned from competing in the women's side of the U.S. Open, the tennis U.S. Open, um, because of a woman-born-woman rule. Um, in, uh, so Richards challenged the decision, and um, in 1977, the Supreme Court ruled in her favor. Unfortunately, um, she was defeated in the first round of the 77 U.S. Open um, by Virginia Wade. But also that kind of proves that the whole trans woman shouldn't compete in women's sports because they have an unfair advantage thing is like a total lie. Um, also, like a couple of years later, the battle of the sexes happens and Billie Jean King just completely obliterates Bobby. What's his face? Um, he lost. Um, so like. So, basically, like, gender has no bearing on, like, how good you are at sports. <laughs> yeah. And um, the fact that we still have to debate the fact that no matter what my gender is, I am bad athletically <laughs> is weird. Yeah. I used to be good athletically. Oh, God, what happened? In 1978, we have the election of Harvey Milk who was inaugurated as San Francisco City Supervisor and was the first openly gay man to be elected to political office in California. We should mention there were openly gay people before, but we all remember Harvey Milk in large part because he was murdered um, by Dan White, who had recently resigned from his board's position and wanted the mayor to reappoint him. The mayor, George Moscone, also died, and their murderer received five years in prison for voluntary manslaughter. Yeah, the justice system does not work in our favor. Um, like, hardly ever. The, the 
just five years is like nothing. The criminal, the criminal justice system does not work in our favor. Um, and yeah, I'm all for prison abolition, but I'm also all for like the, the justice system working (laughs) and not giving a murderer just five years. The definition of manslaughter is killing a human being without malice or forethought or just in circumstances not that wouldn't amount to murder. Um, basically, it means that you didn't you didn't want to seriously harm or kill them. You were just kind of reckless and didn't care about like people's lives, which isn't. It's just not the case. Gun. It's he he had a gun and he had probable cause. Like he had, he had, he, he had a purpose. reason. He did it on purpose, and he had forethought. He he planned it beforehand, which means it's not manslaughter. By legal definition, just it's murder. Yep. I wouldn't want to try the case if it was like first or second degree murder, but it was for sure murder. Premeditated. That's the word I'm looking for. It was premeditated murder. Yeah, which means it was not manslaughter. And therefore, the ruling was bad. <laughs> Obviously, after that, uh, Harvey Milk became a symbol for the LGBTQ community. Um, and in later in 1978, Gilbert Baker designed and stitched together the first rainbow po- pride flag, which I believe had eight colors. And we've simplified it to have the six uh, colors of red, orange, yellow, green, blue, and purple. Um, although, obviously... Um, there are many, many variations now. I prefer the one with the black and with the black and brown on top too. Um, but yeah, Gilbert Baker designed the pride flag right um, after Harvey Milk passed away. Yeah, yeah. they uh, they did kind of run in the same circles in San Francisco uh, because all the gays lived in one neighborhood and we still live there, mm-hmm. which is cool. Um, the big reason that there are no longer, um, as many colors in the pride flag is because he died in the fabric himself, um, and it was just really expensive to mass produce it. In 1979, the first March on Washington happened for, uh, lesbian and gay rights, which was amazing. Um... And it drew uh, 75 to 125,000 people marching for LGBTQ rights, which is a very, very large number. Um, It outsold Trump in Tulsa. (laughs) Sorry, I had to make that joke. No, no, do it, do it. (laughs) Um, yeah. Uh, Anyways, one last piece of uh, good news real quick. Uh, before we move on to the rest of the 80s, <laughs> in 1982, Wisconsin became the first state to outlaw discrimination based on sexual orientation. Way to go, Wisconsin! It's never the states you expect. Never the places you expect. Go, Wisconsin. Gonna gonna get some, like, some Wisconsin cheddar cheese to celebrate that. Yeah, I feel like Wisconsin and Illinois are really being like, Midwestern nice is real! Look at us! Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like... I wonder if, like, people in that area know this about their state. Like, 
how much the non-queer community knows about like the gay history of their states because it's pretty incredible the only people i know from wisconsin are gay or paul ryan and i feel like they all know (laughs) does paul ryan though does he i feel like he does (laughs) I feel like he learned about it and got very mad. I feel like he learned about it and got very mad and then realized that ignoring facts was, like, the key to his livelihood, so then forgot about it. Hi, friends. This is future editing Katrina from the podcast editing future. So the second half of this podcast did not record on my end, so we're going to be back with a part two next week with the rest of gay history, all the way from the AIDS crisis to now and how far we've come. If you want to keep in touch with us, you can follow me at Katrina Ames on Twitter or follow Narali at Firewood Sparkler also on Twitter. Or just follow the podcast at On Your Left Pod. You can also support us on our Patreon at patreon.com slash onyourleftpod. Thanks so much for listening and we'll be back next week with more gay history mango facts, and good gay news. Have a great week. Bye!